in prayer early this morning and just talking to God about this service. It rose in my heart, and I can't even put it into words. The words will sound shallow compared to what I sensed. It was an awesome sense that God, our creator, your creator and my creator, wants to speak to you today. And this holy fear, and I don't mean afraid of, but awesome reverence was, came out of my heart. God, don't allow me to say anything that does not represent your heart to your people. May I speak under the power of your spirit exactly what you want to say into our hearts, that there be none of me None of me. I've been spending time in the book of Jeremiah because I believe to a large degree, I just feel led to be in there, but I believe it was, reflects very much the times that we're in right now. It was at a time when Israel was facing, Judah actually was facing a drastic change and they didn't recognize where they were. The predominant problem within what we would call the church, but it was the temple was that there were many prophets out there prophesying what was going to happen, but they weren't the word of the Lord. And in Jeremiah, in a number of places, you see God speak to him and tell him that he is to speak the Lord's word to the people. And something is rooted down in me now about the awesome responsibility that I have and on the other side, the awesome privilege that I have to speak to you what God wants to say to you. So my prayer this morning, really, and I've never felt it quite that way before, God, don't let me say anything that's not your word to your people this morning. God is a good father. We've sung songs this morning about his goodness. We've just heard a beautiful song and in the recitation of the message version of a powerful psalm about God's faithfulness and God's love. But a good father and a faithful father will prepare his children. And I believe with all my heart that we are in a time of preparation. That if you really could look honestly at your life right now and allow the Spirit of God to pull back all the flesh and all the issues, you would recognize that God, how God is working in your life right now as preparation. And we need to have our hearts open to allow him to do that in our lives. A number of years ago, I spent a good part of a year in Hebrews 12 for me personally because I needed to know God better as, a, as my father. I had a father that, I, that loved me, but he, because of all kinds of problems within his family, he really did not know how to teach me or discipline me or train me. And because of a divorce, he really wasn't in my life in a way that he could speak into my life consistently. So I never knew a father that I could trust that would correct me. And I came to a point where I finally said, God, you're my father. I need this in my life. And I began to go to him, and I began to go through Hebrews 12. And the theme of Hebrews 12, starting in verse 6, is that because God is a loving father, he will correct us. But there's a verse in there, it's around verse 7, that says, and if we will allow him, and this is my rendition of it, if we will allow him to correct us, then he will deal with us as if we're sons. 
And that's a tr- that verse is saying to us, God is working in our lives to prepare us. And he will prepare us to the extent that we will cooperate with him. We're going to look at Israel today and probably the next time. We're going to see that God loved that nation. He loved them. At one point, he calls them his, his firstborn. In several places, he calls them his firstborn, his child, his son. At one point, he refers to them as if they've committed harlotry with him. So he refers to them as if he's their wife. All of them referring to a close, intimate relationship that God intended to have with his people. And he called them with a purpose, a destiny, which was not to live in the bondage of Egypt, under the bondage of the system of the world at that time, but to deliver them from that bondage and to place them in a land that he had prepared for them, that he would drive out all the inhabitants and give this land to him, them a land that was blessed and flowing with milk and honey. And he prepared them that there was one generation that refused to cooperate with his preparation. And the result is that God painfully had to let them die off in the wilderness because he could not take them to the land he had prepared for them. And then he prepared the next generation. See, God will take his people there. The question is, is it going to be us or does he have to wait and have somebody else? But he will do it. We're given an opportunity And the door of that opportunity, the window of that opportunity is open for a period of time, but then God in His infinite judgment at some point has to close it and give it to somebody else. And I'm saying this as as a preparation because I'm watching now. I'm watching in this congregation God begin to work in people's lives and prepare. Part of that preparation is God will begin to draw out things that are in us that we may not even know are in us so that he can remove them because the main focus of his preparation is purification. The main focus of his preparation is purification. And I believe probably the next time, I don't think we'll get it to this time, we'll look at the story of God taking his people into the promised land and the process they had to go through. It's very enlightening. And some of it will tie into what we're going to talk to today. So having said that, I ask you to turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. While you're turning there, let me give you some kind of other direction here. Because God loves us, He is providing and will provide a beacon, a light, a direction through whatever it is we're facing, whatever it may be. See, my thinking is simple. If the people that are telling us things are going to get hard and tough are right, I want to be prepared. If they're wrong, what's the harm in being prepared for something that doesn't happen? What I don't want to be is unprepared. And I cannot afford to allow you to be unprepared because I have to answer for you. I don't answer for your choice you make but I answer with whether I gave you the opportunity, God the opportunity, to prepare you. The comfort I have is that no matter what's facing, the scripture that God has just, I wake up in the middle of the night reciting this, is the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Whatever it is we're facing, we have a shepherd. The shepherd who is leading his sheep. 
but he could only lead the sheep who have their eyes on the shepherd. And God uses the example of sheep because sheep are easily drawn off by distractions. And so God works with them in a way to develop, a shepherd works in a way to develop a relationship with them so they recognize his voice, they recognize his touch, and they recognize his smell. Mary Ann Brown, a couple of, last year was sharing with us a time when she was in Israel and she had gone, they were, they were stopped, or the bus was stopped by sheep crossing the road. And there were a number of shepherds and apparently they had mixed all their sheep together to go somewhere. And when they got across the road, the, shepherd, the, the shepherds went different ways and the sheep just separated out and followed the shepherd. But she heard what they did. Each shepherd was making a noise, a clucking noise. And each one made a different noise. And the moment the shepherd made that noise, the sheep's heads went up. They turned towards the shepherd and they followed their shepherd. Now all the Bible teaches that your pastor is a shepherd. I have a shepherd for your sake. He's your shepherd too. But this church has a shepherd, the shepherd. And I'm sharing with you because I believe that's what's happening now that the shepherd by the Spirit of God is beginning to cause people to identify who they're following. Because he is going to lead us through whatever we're facing. And he will get us through it. The example that came to me, and I don't know if they use it anymore, but airplanes when they're flying by instruments, when, the easiest thing in the world, to, not, you know, we shouldn't say that, that's not true, because I'm not sure I could do it. But the most basic way of flying is by visual flight rules. And that means you get what you see. You don't fly by faith. If you see the airport there, that's where it is. You make your adjustment based on what you see. But when you become a sophisticated pilot in order to fly commercial flights or to get a different type of license, you have to be qualified to fly without trusting in what you see. Because what happens when they go through the clouds? What happens when they, you know, the last time we flew somewhere, it was snowing and we went up right through the clouds. And I don't, it was about half an hour before you could see anything. And yet they were right on course. When they come down out of the, they come down out of the clouds in the air and the runway's right there, they don't just do that because they've got a good sense of direction. In fact, they've got to put aside their sense of direction and trust the instruments. And again, I don't know how it does now, but it used to be a device called, the, I think it's TACAN, and it set out a sound that when you were on course, you knew you were on course because you knew what that sound was like. When you got off course, you got a different sound. If you got way off course, there was no sound. And that's, in essence, what the Spirit of God is doing. There's a sound out there. There's, there's a focus point that He wants to draw us to because it will draw us up through the clouds, through the storms, and it will draw us up above the clouds where the sun is always shining and where the direction is clear. And that's what I sense the Spirit of God is doing. 1 John chapter 5. Verse 18. I never saw it this way before, but I just sensed to begin here, and yesterday it just stood out in bold relief to me. Now, this is the end of a very powerful letter that the Apostle John wrote. talks all about love, which we spent a lot of time at the end of last year about. But the real purpose of this is so that we would know Him. The real purpose of this letter is so that we would know Him. And now He's bringing it to a close. 
Verse 18, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. That means as a practice. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, or belong to God, or out of God, and the whole world, listen to this, the whole world lies under the sway or the power of the wicked one. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 refers to Satan as the God of this world. This world and its systems are in Satan's hands right now. And there is a spirit that the Bible refers to as the spirit of the Antichrist. And John talks about many of these spirits that go out into the world, that's at work in the world today. So we shouldn't be shocked that things are getting worse. But we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we might know Him who is true. So the Apostle John is saying in the middle of a world that is in the control of Satan, in the middle of a world of darkness, God is giving us an understanding of Him. So in the middle of the darkness, there's an opportunity to know Him and understand Him. It's one thing to know Him. It's another thing to understand Him and His ways. We talked last time, not last Sunday. We had a special Sunday last time. But two weeks ago, we talked about knowing the time we're in, understanding the time. That's part of understanding Him. It's an awakening and a realization of who God is in the midst of the darkness and in the midst of what the world is turning into now. Psalm 103 has later down around verse 10 or so. says, The children of Israel knew God's acts, His deeds, but Moses knew His ways. Moses had an understanding of God that nobody else in Israel had. But then again, Moses spent time with God that they didn't spend. All right. So the focus here is that John is saying that in these days, in a world that's in the grasp of the wicked one, God is giving to us, his children, an understanding so that we might know him who is true. Not know his name, not know his identity, but the word know there means to have an intimate knowledge of, like, the sheep do with the shepherd. Because there's going to come a time when it's going to be harder and harder to discern what's really God from what looks like God. That's why the Bible says people are going to be deceived. We're talking about believers. How can a believer be deceived? Because they don't know the voice of their shepherd. They're sheep who have not developed a sense of smell of their shepherd or his touch. They don't know him, so they'll follow anything that looks like a shepherd. Yet they're sheep, and they're being drawn away. Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy, he says, Make sure that you preach the word, because the day is coming when people are going to chase after teachers who will say things that will scratch their itching ears. They decide what they want to listen to because it makes them feel good. All right. And so God is saying here, John is saying here, God through John, 
He's giving us an under, he's given us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true and in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God. I'll hear that carefully. Well, I know that. Listen to this. This is the true God and this is the true eternal life. Having said that, look at verse 21. Isn't that an interesting thing? Little children, keep yourself from idols. What's that got to do with the whole rest of that book? He doesn't talk about idols anywhere else in that book, really. I just sense God pulling me to these, that last verse. And I'm saying, okay, what's it got to do with the rest? This, this is my way my mind works. What's it got to do with the rest of it? See, but that makes me ask questions. And when I ask questions and go back and read it again and read it again, then the Spirit of God will begin to give you understanding. And there's a connection between idols and knowing God. I'm going to let you in a secret. You can't tell anybody else. All right? So please don't tell anybody else, especially if you're watching on TV. Don't tell anybody else. But really where God is going to take us this year in terms of the teaching is He's going to bring our focus on who Jesus really is. Because I began to see things as, Lord, this needs to be addressed. This and the Lord says, no, if you bring all the attention up on me, it will make an adjustment and bring things in line. And so that's where I was set to go, and the Lord sent me in this direction, and now I can understand why. Because before we can, is what he said. He says, for you have an understanding of me. He wants to reveal who he is, but he's saying before you can do that, you've got to do verse 21. You've got to flee from idols. Idols? Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Idols. It was interesting because in the concert we had Monday night, John Waller at the end, very powerful song, but a very powerful sharing he did. He talked about idols. Exodus 20. Now, right before this scene, which is Exodus 19, verse 17, God, it says, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. What's happened here, they've come out of the wilderness, they've crossed the Red Sea, they've come out of Slow down, John. They've come out of Egypt. They've supernaturally crossed the Red Sea. They've gone out into the, to the, to, to the wilderness. And now they've come to a place down around southern Saudi Arabia to the Mount Horeb. And God says, I want to bring them to the base of this mountain, and I'm going to come down on this mountain and show myself. But you've got to take three days to consecrate yourself. We'll talk about that, not today, but later on. And then gather around the foot of the mountain, and you're going to have to put ropes up because some of them may want to run up on the mountain and they'll die if they run up on the mountain because a holy God is going to come down on the top of this mountain and sin cannot exist in the presence of absolute holiness. It will die. And whatever sin is in will die with it. Sin cannot exist in the presence of the source of holiness himself. In verse 19, chapter 19 here, I love this scene. It says Moses was excited because he was preparing his people to go meet their God, to see their God. 
to have an understanding of him. Same thing. And so they come to the mountain. Moses, God comes down on the mountain in the form of thunder and lightning. And it's interesting because, and think as in Leviticus or Deuteronomy, it says God could not come down in his actual form so that they could see the form of his form because they'd make an image out of it. So he had to come down in a cloud of lightning and thunder. And he comes down on the top of the mountain and they all flee away and they say, this is too horrible for us. We can't stand this. You know, we can't stand this. Moses, you go talk to God and come tell us what he says and we'll do. They says, and we'll do what he says. And I'm sure that was the intention of their heart, but that's not where they were because they didn't do what he said. But with that background, now we go to chapter 20, and now Moses comes back up on the mountain. And this, in, so I want you to see what we're about to read, the beginning of, which we all know is the Ten Commandments. But it was a preparation for them knowing their God. It's not just rules so they don't get in trouble. It's not just rules because God wants to boss our lives. God was preparing them so that they could know their God. Because when he came down on the mountain, they ran away from him. So he's giving them rules to prepare them so that they may know their God, that he may lead them through this wilderness, very much like where we are today. And we're going to just look at the first one, verse 2. And God spoke all these things saying, verse 2, I am the Lord your God. We read that little uh, personal pronoun, your, too quickly. Your is a possessive pronoun. That means it indicates something belongs to somebody. God is saying, I am the Lord God, your God. I belong to you, and you belong to me. So he's introducing himself. He doesn't start out by saying, here are the rules. He says, this is the point. I am the Lord, your God. I am, a God, I am the God to you, and you are my people. You belong to me. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved or graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that's on the earth beneath, that's in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Why? For I, the Lord God, your God, am a jealous God. Jealous implies a love. Jealous implies a desire to have. We're not jealous over something that we don't care about. Jealous involves, implies an emotion and a passion. So we look at that word jealous and say, God's jealous, he's requiring things. No, he's jealous because he loves us, because we're special. They belong to him. He's not ready to throw down bolts of lightning. This is the heart of their creator who created them and now has delivered them. He didn't do this for any other people, that they would belong to him. 
And he says, you shall have no other God before me. You shall not make any image that you will bow down and worship. For I am a jealous God. All right, let's read on. This is good. This is good news. Don't get afraid. You shall not doubt, verse 5, you shall not doubt, bow down before them to serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, who belongs to you, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity on the fathers upon their children, the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Now I want to talk for a moment or two about what an idol is. Notice what he's taught. He tells you, tells us this, first of all. There are, there, first of all, he says, you not, shall not make for yourselves a carved image. What is an idol? An idol is anything that you've made that you give yourself to. The key element that makes it an idol is you made it. You may not have created the thing, but you put it in a place in your life that belonged to God. Now, if you go over to chapter 21, I'll give you an example of this. Verse 22. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Chapter 20, verse 22. The Lord God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I've talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be... You shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver, gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. See that? Now look at this. This is a clear example. The altar of earth that you shall make, the altar of earth you shall make for me. Now you can pile dirt up to be an altar. And your sacrifice on it, your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, you sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I come to you and I will bless it. But if you make an altar of stone, you shall not build it on hewn or cut stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may be exposed. What's he talking about there? He's saying whatever you use... As, a, as something to worship me, it must be dirt. Why dirt? Because God made the dirt. You've got to use something I made and you didn't make. And if you use something I made like a stone, you can't cut it and change its shape because now you've added something of yourself to what I made that you're going to use for worshiping me. Oh, this is good. Because this is the heart of idolatry. It isn't the little statue on your refrigerator or on your... I mean, that's an idol. But that's an obvious idol. I hope you don't have any of those. Because we're not even talking at that level. The, idol- the heart of idolatry is that I have taken my skill and my resources and I have made something that I'm using to worship. Or, in this case, I take something God made and I'm going to make changes to it. That I, in other words, I've added something 
to what God's made. And God says when you add you to what you're using to worship me that I gave you, you profane it. You make it unholy. Because the essence of idolatry is I'm giving my heart. This is why he says I'm a jealous God. I'm giving my heart to something other than God. It can be many things. That's basically what we're going to talk about this morning. It can be many things. I mean, there are obvious things like little statues on your dashboard and, you know, other things like that. Because it's plastic. For offending you, I'm sorry. It's idolatry. It's plastic. But those are the obvious things. Uh, an, an idol is anything made with your own ability and resources. And notice it's made in a form that we want to be God. So really what idolatry is, is I decide what's God and I make something that's my God in that form. And then I rely upon that for my identity, my well-being, my provision, and my protection. An idol is anything that you draw from your protection, first of all, your identity, your well-being. That's why those little statues. It just what's, what's harmful about that? Well, why is it there? Well, you know, it represents somebody who's going to watch over me and protect me. So you're trusting in that statue to protect you? That makes God jealous. He wants to be that to you. I used to wonder why in James 4 it says, if you, if you love the world, he calls that idolatry. And then it hit, I mean, adultery. And I realized, well, what is adultery? Adultery is when I, if, if I were to take my, the affection and the things that only my wife can give me, and I went and got them from somebody else. The breaking of a covenant. And it's drawing from someone else what is sacred within this relationship to only come from her. I remember when I was a lawyer having a secretary, and she was a wonderful secretary, and best I'd ever had. But at one point, I'm sure she didn't mean anything, she got close to a line by saying, you know, you, know, you look tired, maybe you should take some time off. And a wall went up. I said, wait a minute, she's now trying to minister to me personally in an area that's beyond where a secretary should go. That's something I should receive from my wife, not from you. I didn't say anything, but I put a wall up, and I just backed away. See, people don't end up in trouble most of the cases because they want to. It's just they don't recognize boundary lines and they step across them and then find themselves in the grip of some situation that they never intended to be in. But it starts by having your heart and your eyes wander from the source. So you can't be distracted if your eyes and your heart and your affection is where it's supposed to be. And that's what God's saying to us. That's what God's saying to us. 
in whatever we're facing, there are going to be many opportunities to be distracted and pulled off track. But if our hearts are tuned in to him, if our affection is set on him and learning, growing in him and, and, and giving our life and our love to him, then you'll know the difference because that doesn't satisfy. So an idol is anything that you've made. Now, you didn't have to physically make it. You can just choose it. So it can be a job. A lot of people, their job is their idol. It's their source. Well, that's where my paycheck comes from. Yeah, God, uh, my view has always been God's using that place to provide for me. Just like he did with Elijah. He used the raven, then he used the widow woman. The means is up to God. That's why some of you are having trouble finding jobs. Because you're looking for a source of your supply from people instead of from Jehovah, your God. So your prayer should be, God, I know you're my source. Show me what, what channel you're going to use. Show me who you're going to use to provide my needs. Because then you're not shaken by what happens in your company, in your place, because it doesn't change who your source is. So for some people, it's their job. Some people, it's relationships. This is where it gets sticky. It can be friends. You get saved, you begin to grow with God. You've got friends that aren't saved and aren't going with God, and you've got choices to make. They're pulling you one way, and the Spirit of God's pulling you another way. Who are you going to worship and who are you going to follow and who are you going to love? Yeah, but they've meant so much to me. I mean, I don't want to hurt their feelings. So you'll hurt his. Because he's a jealous God. Every choice we make in these regards is we're choosing him first or something else first. And this, it, I'm not, he has been going through me. I went to God earlier this year and I said, God, whatever you want. And now here's a list of things I'm offering to you. He hasn't even looked at any of those things. He was after some other things. There were areas of my life where I was holding on to them. I mean, they're attitudes. Not, I'm not talking about sin in the sense of, you know, doing something wrong. Attitudes. Things in my life, relationships that I had put at a place that were above God. But as, they're, as, they're, as I'm, he's confronting them and I'm turning them over to him, there's a freedom and a closeness with him. I'm walking in a place with him I have never known before. An intimacy, and it's not in my emotions. It's not, it, they come along. It's a spiritual intimacy I wouldn't even know was quite there to this level. But it's come as I've let go of things. As I've said, okay, God, whatever that is, I love that situation, I love that, but I'll put you first. So that if nobody, I told him the other day, if Sunday morning everybody in this church goes up and walks out and my family walks out too and they decide to go somewhere else, you're still my God. If no prayer I have asked, offered to you has ever answered, you're still God. It doesn't change who you are in my life. And it's amazing the adjustments that that begins to make in you. Praise God. Praise God. Well, what are some other things that can become idols? Because we're now talking, we're still talking about the easy things. Well, let me say something first. The main reason God dealt with Israel is because He loved them. In fact, the main thing that God got upset at Israel, the first generation, 
And the reason they didn't get into the promised land was because of the idolatry. And we're going to see the most dangerous type of idolatry is what they committed. So, all right, we've got things. They can be idols. Your car can be an idol. Food can be an idol. TV can be an idol. Anything that you're using as your source of comfort, strength, guidance, direction, whatever it is, the Spirit of God will, is trying to make it clear to you. So don't make your own list. It's there. It can be relationships. Jesus says some tough things that are hard to understand. He said, you know, I didn't come to make peace. I came with a sword. I thought he's the prince of peace. Well, he is in one sense, in the sense of peace between God and us. But he said, I'll divide families. Now, that's not God's heart. God's hearts never divide families. What he's saying is, I force a choice that may cause division in families. And there's some of you who are in here today, you've experienced that. Because for you to choose to come here and to worship God this way forced you to make choices in your family that some of your family members don't understand. And we've had people in here that their families have ostracized them and kicked them out because they decided to worship God this way and to seek His Word instead of the traditions that they were raised in forces choices. If he's going to be first, it's one thing to say it on Sunday, but it's living it out in my heart that forces choices. He said, I've come to divide. In some cases, it will produce division in family. Some cases, it may separate you from your children. Some cases, it may even separate spouses. So like God doesn't want to divide. No, he doesn't. But he must be first. I love my wife with all my heart. But if he's not first, she's in trouble. I love you with all my heart. And people come to me with all kinds of ideas and things like that. And I appreciate them. I listen to most, many of them. Some of them I don't listen to because it's clearly not God. But many of them, you know, I entertain them. But I've got to do what he says. I've got to do what he says. If I don't put him first, you're in trouble. Then we've got sheep leading the flock. And I'm just as much a sheep as you are. It's just that he's put this sheep at the head of the flock. I had a situation where I had agreed to do something. This was a year or so ago. God dealt with me in prayer. He says, you need to go to that person and tell them you can't, it was a trip. You can't participate in that. I said, is it wrong? He said, no, the reason, here's the reason. You said yes because you felt pressure, not because I told you so. So it wasn't wrong to do it. What was wrong is why you did it. You've got to go to that person and tell them why you say you can't do this. But what are they? It doesn't matter what they think. Who's first? Another idol. Now, now it's getting more interesting. Is approval and acceptance. We're human beings. God made us in such a way where we need to feel approved and accepted. But ultimately, my acceptance and approval comes from him. This was the problem that Saul, King Saul had, and this is the problem that Aaron had. We're going to look at Aaron later on. Because they made choices when they were put in positions of leadership, and they were moved by what their people told them to do that caused them to violate what God had told them to do. 
And you can see even in Saul's response when he's confronted by Samuel. Because God, through the prophet Samuel, told Saul to wait before they went into battle. Don't offer the sacrifice until the prophet came to offer it. And what happened is the soldiers saw the enemy lining up for battle. And Saul's own soldiers came to him and said, we have to do something. I hear that from time. But pastor, we've got to do something. Are you going to do the right thing or just something? You can get out on 195 and do something. I don't want to do something. I want to do what he says. And Saul allowed himself to be moved by what the, his soldiers said he had to do. And so he took things into his own hands and performed the sacrifice that God had not authorized him to perform because he was a king, not the priest. He took, listen to me, he took the situation into his own hands. You shall not make for yourself any image that you've made for yourself. You shall not take what is mine into your hands. I don't care what the pressure is. And Samuel shows up because God spoke to him in the night before. And Samuel shows up and says, what is this you've done? And as you read through Saul's explanation, you find he's still trying to protect his image in front of the people. Well, I know you've got to discipline me, but wait till everybody's going away. Why would he do that? Because there was a weakness in Saul. He depended, he drew his approval and his strength more from the people he was called to lead than from his God. And that was fatal to him. He lost his kingship. He lost his anointing. And he ended up seeking a witch for direction for the people of God. How could he end up over there? And the Bible says he was a good man when God called him. The Bible says that God put his spirit upon him to lead this people. How could he end up over there? It wasn't where he started out. See, you got to see that. You can't just look at the good... Well, my heart, my, 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 my pastor, the Bible says God looks on the heart, not on the outer man. Yeah, but he doesn't say it in that context. He says that in a context in judging your ability because that's when God chose David who on the outside looked like some little kid. It says, no, God looks on the heart. He saw the heart of David. David's heart was for the God first. Yes, David sinned, but his, even when he sinned and was caught, his first reaction was, oh, not what did I do wrong. I'm so sorry. I'm embarrassed. I've caused this pain to people. He said, I have sinned before my God. All he cared about is he had hurt his God because his God was his source of everything. And so even when he'd stumble and sinned, he got back on track because that's where his heart was set. Saul makes a mistake, sins, but instead of getting back on track, he just wandered further off. Why? Why did that happen? Why is God speaking this to us? Because under pressure, what's where you are, what your foundation, what's in you will come out. What you trust in will come out. It's easy when everything's going right. Say, I believe God. I love God. See, I went through that. See, when I got saved, I was in a lawyer in a large law firm making more money than ever been before, and that's when I decided God was my source. That was easy. 
Within a year, God had called us to go to Bible school. I'm out there. I have no job. And now I find out that my family's going to double in size because my wife, who's already had two children, is pregnant with twins. No insurance, no job, nothing. Now we find out who my source is. Now we find out what my source is under pressure. And under pressure, what came out of Saul was this weakness that he had built his life on the approval and the, of his soldiers, not on the God that he served. So when they, were pre- they put pressure on him, their, his need, listen to me, his need for them was greater than his need for God. And you see that? They had become an idol to him. People, relationships, and close children can be an idol. And God wants us to love them, take care of them, devote ourselves to them, but not above him. Not above him. Not above him. Jesus said, if you don't do this, you're not fit to be my disciple. Strong words. Doesn't mean he doesn't love us. I'm not talking about whether you're in the kingdom of God or not. I'm talking about the times we're facing. I'm talking about growing in our knowledge and understanding of God. Because, and this is why I began to see why is it why, Lord, do we talk about this first before we start talking about who you are? Because if if you don't understand what we're looking for, who we're looking for, you won't find him. If you don't recognize the idols in your life, you may see who God is, but you'll never have an understanding of him because there's somebody else sitting in his place. Because it's not just knowing he's God, it's he becomes your God. He becomes the, 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 the head of your life. He becomes the one that protects you and provides for you. See, but if somebody else, oh, this is good. If somebody else is sitting in that place, there's no room for him there. So you'll know he's God, but is he really your God? See, God means he's in control. God means he's the source. God means you do what he says. So we go, oh, he said, Lord Jesus, Lord Lord means, we're going to talk about that later, Lord means he owns it all. Lord means it's all submitted to him. That means he decides what you do with all of it. So when you say Lord, that's what you're saying. So we say Lord, we love him as Lord, but there are many times there are other things sitting in his throne in our life. And we want a kind of a chair off to the side. So when I come to church, I take my eyes off of the one that's on the throne and I worship him over here. And when I need something, I'll go over here. But I'm not letting him sit on that throne because that's the throne that I've got my kids on or my job on or my car on or whatever it is that I've put in that place in my heart above anything else. Maybe it's talent. Maybe it's an ability. Before God would allow me to be in this place, He took me through a process of 10 years to deal with some things in my life. I was aware of the gift that God gave me to teach. I was aware of it. And I had my eyes on that. 
And I said, well, God, if you've given me this gift, then you must be planning things for me, and you're going to do this and this and this. And the problem, I had my eyes. That gift became an idol to me. I didn't bow down and worship it, but I began to draw my identity from it. And the sign of it is if people didn't recognize it, then I got hurt. My feelings would get hurt. It doesn't matter whether somebody recognizes it now or not because my identity is no longer in gifts that God's given me. But that was the process he had to take me through before he would trust me to put me here. And it was painful at times. Because the way I grew up, I had all kinds of inadequacies. Bad self-image, so I was drawing it from people and their approval. And God had to take me through a process of getting that out of me where I got my approval from him. Am I perfect? No. But enough to know the difference when I'm off track now. To know the signs. Whoops. About a year ago, I got a letter. I, I don't get a lot of letters from people, but I got a letter from somebody. And it was, it was cordial. It was nice. But they were criticizing a few things. And it bothered me. Now, I'll, I took it and said, God, if I'm wrong about that, I'm willing to change it. But it was more that got under my skin. One letter. And I said, God, what's wrong? He says, that's a sign that you're off me. It's not their approval. It's my approval you need. So I made that adjustment to come back. That was a temptation to put that back in my life as an idol. People's approval. When I was in the ministry before, I was extremely insecure. See, God hadn't worked this out of me. And I would finish the message and I could tell the anointing was there, the power was flowing, and then I was watching and if people didn't come up to me and say something afterwards, I would go home devastated. Which is in many ways why God had to step me out. You're not ready yet. Until I work this out of your life. It was an idol. And it was an idol. You were my idol. Well, not you personally, but the people in that church were my idol. I needed their approval more than I needed his. I needed their approval more than I needed his. See, these are the more subtle ones. The little thing on your dashboard, you know, the job, the car. We kind of know what those are. But these are the inner attitudes where I've put something, someone, some need in my life on that throne that belongs to him and him alone. And while that's sitting there, and sometimes <laughs> I just get this picture of a number of things sitting on each other's lap. While they're sitting there, he can't. He can't. He's somewhere in your life, but he can't sit on his throne when I've put something else or someone else there. Turn with me to, um, we'll just start this part. Turn with me to um, Philippians chapter 3. Getting quiet. That's good. I pray parts of this almost every day. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it's safe. Look at that. 
He's talking about their safety. Beware of dogs. He's not talking about four-legged dogs. He's talking about two-legged dogs. <laughs> Beware of evil, look at this, workers. So there are workers among you, but they're evil. Beware of the mutilation. He's talking about people that mutilate their body. He's talking about religious things, really, here. For we are of the circumcision who worship God in spirit, Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He's not talking here about, you know, whether you have trouble with chocolate. He's not talking about whether, you know, you have trouble controlling your appetite. That's a different issue. He's talking about what you put your trust and your confidence in. The flesh refers to things I do myself. Just like God defined in Genesis, Exodus 20, an idol is anything you make yourself. That's the flesh he's talking about here. And put no confidence in what my flesh contributes to me, what my effort contributes to me. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, in other words, do I have the opportunity to? Oh, yeah. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I even more. And he's going to go through his credentials. He's going to go through his resume. What in his mind formed his image of himself? Where in his, where in his own background he relied on for his confidence spiritually? What is your confidence in for your standing before God right now? God had to deal with me that it was my good intentions. Well, Lord, I, you know, my intentions are good. <laughs> he has a way of cutting through things. He says, well, then what's stopping you? If your intentions are so good, why don't you do it? And through that, see, often a question like that, because God's trying to shine on me, in me, a spotlight on something I'm trusting in in me, I didn't realize. I didn't realize this. So we're going to see here the things about what he, and these are all things either he did or someone did for him. I also may have confidence in the flesh. If anyone, tells, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Benjamin. That means that I obeyed the requirements of the law of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisees. In other words, I rose through the ranks of the leadership of the Jewish church, basically. And I was up at the top. And concerning the law of Pharisee, I was of the elite group. Now, that's my outward accomplishment. Let's talk about my inward accomplishments. Concerning zeal, my heart, my passion, I was a persecutor of the church. Concerning righteousness, what comes in the law, I was blameless. But what things were gained to me, where I got my image from, where I got my confidence from, where I got my sense of well-being from, was rubbish. I counted as loss. I count it as loss. The word there, count, in Greek is an accounting term. It means from move from one side of the ledger to the other side of the ledger. As we close our books out for the year, which we've done, sometimes when we go to make a final year adjustment, we're, oops, we put it on the wrong side, and you can tell because it doesn't balance out, and you've got to go move it to the correct side. 
He said, I, look at the, I looked at my life and realized I built all my good points up on the wrong ledger, wrong side of the ledger. I built them up on me. And so I made a decision to count them as zero and look to the other side of the ledger, which is Christ Jesus. Now look at this, and we'll just get a chance to introduce this. What things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. As a great sacrifice to Him? No, you'll see. Yet indeed I count all things as loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. Isn't that what we're talking about? John says at the end, God is giving us understanding of Him that we might know Him. And then he says, flee from idols. Paul is saying, I put these idols of my life, my pedigree, my education, my accomplishments, my inner zeal, what I thought about myself, I've counted those as loss so that I might know Him. Because I can't know Him and have those things. I can know who He is, but I can't know Him as my Lord and hold on to those things because they were my Lord. They were my God. They were the source of my well-being. They were the source of my identity. Let me ask you a question. If you lost everything today, everything, like Job did in one day, everything, including your reputation, what would you do? Where would you turn? Why turn to God? Well, would you? That's the question. You turn to whatever you build in your life as your source. That's where you turn. And if God's your source of all these things and you lost everything else, then you won't be shaken because your foundation of your life has not been shaken. That's why Paul says... I've, lear I've learned how to live abased without anything, and I've ha learned how to live when I've abounded, have all kinds of prosperity. I've learned how to... So what my situation is, it doesn't change me. Why? Because it's not based on that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're going to have to end here. We'll pick up here. Wait a minute, I'm going to just leave you with something. It's, it's, it, and I've got to leave you with it for two weeks. We're not there yet. There's something even more powerful that's an idol to us that most of you have never thought of yet, and it's the most dangerous one. And we'll know it's not even you. And we'll look at that next time.